Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hello, Don. J.J. Yes. Go with me. Just go with me. Don't okay. think. Okay. <laughs> J.J. Yeah. It's not your fault. Um, uh. J.J. Uh-huh. It's not your fault. Uh, uh. It's not oh. your. It's not your fault. Stop hugging me. We're, <laughs> stop hugging me. What am I doing? <laughs> you're, listeners, you're listeners, goodwill hunting me. I'm goodwill hunting you. It's <laughs> exactly what I'm doing. Yes, JJ, I want to unpack the dichotomy of that scene. Yeah, Robin Williams is goodwill hunting's uh, therapist. Will hunting, yes, <laughs> it's not goodwill hunting. I mean, it's, his first name's not good. His first I name's Will. I just my mind is blown. <laughs> Literally assumed his middle name was Will. <laughs> no, no. His first name is Will. Oh, my gosh. The <laughs> whole world is different. Anyway, so Robin Williams is Goodwill Hunting's therapist, or Good Hunting is what I called him, Good Hunting's therapist, and he is doing two things at once. Yeah. He is being the leader in the room. Yep. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. What are you trying to do? Yeah. It's not yep. your fault. Yep. Burn a cigarette on my arm. Or is that yeah. Breakfast Club? Uh, no, Can't same remember. thing, but yeah. it was, that happened earlier. That is kind of the same movie. Yep. But he's also being vulnerable and authentic, yes. right? His heart has been broken because his wife has passed away. You know, Remember, he goes to the baseball game, and he chose not to go to the baseball game so he could spend time with his wife. Great. To, he's doing both at once. Yeah. Why does that work? Why does Robin Williams still get to be the guide and have authority even though he has a background of being fragile and broken and clearly probably has some stuff to work through himself. Why is he not just the friend who's with him, but instead the leader who's guiding the hero toward a climactic scene of healing? Yeah, I think because part of it is he's done a lot of his own healing. So, you know, he still has some ways to go. He still has some ways to go, which is what they show because that really establishes empathy. Kind of we're in this together a little bit. But he's actually come a long way. And he's also had troubled patients in the past who've dealt with the same thing. Like we know that that, uh, Will Hunting's advisor contacts Sean specifically. He goes after him and says – I know the guy because of your background that you're connected and you've also dealt with people who are like this. So he's helped other people along the way, but also he himself has done, he's steps ahead in the healing of anger and pain and all this stuff. Does he still walk through it on a daily basis? Sure. But he's actually steps ahead of Will Hunting in that in that moment. Well, the reason I bring this up is today we're interviewing Michael Brody Waite, who actually has a book called Great Leaders Live Like Drug Addicts. And he basically makes a very compelling argument for complete authenticity. Mm. I say that word, everybody just cringes these days because mm. they've- It's been overused. Well, it's been overused and we meet people who are, quote, being authentic and they're really just, quote, being annoying. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so that's not what he's talking about. Or they're lying about their authenticity. <laughs> they're lying about their authenticity. That's right. So, uh, you know, it's an interesting conversation, but I think a lot of us in this day and age, we feel like we're hiding, uh, but we have to lead. Mm-hmm. And that that scene is an example of somebody who is not hiding who they really are mm-hmm. and who's actually leading somebody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Michael's going to get to the point here really quickly, and I'd love it because I pressed him on it, and he actually talked about, look, admitting that you don't know what you're doing is the sign of a bad leader, mm-hmm. even if it's authentic. Mm-hmm. You have to do both. You have to admit you don't know what you're doing, and yeah. you're going to figure it out. Yeah. 
right? It's it's the actual real process and possession of strength yeah. that makes you both authentic and trustworthy. Yeah. We would call that empathy and authority. Yeah. And I think a lot of times people make the mistake mm-hmm. of so even with this world of social media where everybody has access to leaders and thought leaders in particular and authors and people who have the ability to help them move forward in their own journey, we want the people that we connect with to be authentic and real and they're kind of like us and we get access to them. And the mistake people make in that context is you can be vulnerable in so many other areas, but when it comes to the area that I am trying to lead you in specifically. Right. So if you are a business coach, you cannot say, you know what, like you guys, I have no idea how to do this, but let's do it together, <laughs> right? However, if you're going, hey, is everybody really struggling right now with uh, the gray weather we've been having? Sometimes that really gets me down. Like that yeah. kind of authenticity Different. that's not in the same place of me being a business coach. That's where you can create empathy, connection, and things like that. But when it comes to your space, you want to be vulnerable and authentic. but you, And competent. But you cannot put – yes, but you have to be competent. Right. And if you if you break that competency, then people won't trust you to And lead. what's beautiful about that is – and Michael, he has this, this fascinating series of, of ideas that he shares – uh, about how he came out of drug addiction and got a job at a kiosk in a mall and ended up moving up in the company lightning fast because he kept just being authentic because he was trying to stay sober. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're going to love that part of the interview. But the reality is if we are authentic about our shortcomings, it forces us to get strong. Yeah. And if we are inauthentic about our shortcomings, we don't have to get strong. Mm-hmm. We can just lie about it. Yeah. And so real strength actually follows authenticity. Yeah. It's a fascinating little mix here in paradigm shift, but he actually lives down the street. He lives a mile away, <laughs> uh, but we didn't get together because we are obeying quarantine rules. Mm-hmm. And he actually has a couple kids with a cold. So he said, nah, that's not a good idea. And I said, not a good idea. My, my wife wouldn't like that. <laughs> so authentically, we, we, we connected via Skype. Yeah. And uh, you're going to be a, a fly in the wall in our conversation about the relationship between authenticity, truth, strength, and leadership. Here's my conversation with Michael Brody Wade. Michael, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. All right, your book has a provocative title Great Leaders Live Like Drug Addicts. I imagine you've got a bit of a backstory if you know anything about drug addicts. In fact, I've read some of your backstory, so I know you do. But can you just tell us how you came up with the idea that more people need to understand this sort of hard part of life in order to lead well? Yeah. So, you know, the, the thing that addicts and leaders have in common is both of them will hide parts of their true selves to get what they want. Hmm. Uh, leaders hide their true self behind what I call a mask in order to become successful. Addicts do it in order to get high. When a CEO is hiding their weakness or not actually telling you what they really think, or a politician isn't answering a question and, and they never say, I don't know. They're all wearing a mask, and that's what addicts do. It just pays a lot better to be a leader. <laughs> and so the thing is, is that in order to recover from addiction, you have to become an expert at living mask-free. Hmm. And that's what I think recovering addicts have to teach leaders how to be great. Talk to me about, I mean, we'll get into the leadership here stuff in a second, but talk to me about how you in your past life as an addict wore a mask, what it looked like, what it felt like, uh, and, and the hindrances that it served you. 
as far back as I can remember, I never felt comfortable in my own skin. Hmm. Uh, I never felt like I was enough. I never felt like who I truly was on the inside was something that I could show the world and be safe. And so I hid. And then over time, I used drugs and alcohol to medicate that pain. You were young, too. You were really young when you started doing this. How old were you? I started 16 um, and then getting really hardcore into it when I was uh, 19 or 20. Hmm. That's tragic. Well, you know, it derailed my life, but I'm grateful for it because, you know, my entire obsession was to use uh, from the minute I woke up to the minute I passed out at night. All I wanted to do was get and stay high. Did you figure out in time? Did you figure out what you were running for or what you didn't want to look at or see? Part of it was kind of just at the end of the day, I didn't know how to deal with life on life's terms. Hmm. And part of that was I hadn't been equipped with the emotional skills to deal with life. And the other part was I truly believed that I was less than and that um, I didn't, if I showed people who I truly was, that I wouldn't be accepted or respected or loved. I think about 95% of people listening to this podcast probably identify with that who who don't even deal with these kinds of addictions. Let me ask you another question that uh, you might have a perspective on. Do you think uh, success is a drug or works like a drug? It's important to understand that addiction's in the person, not in the substance. Hmm. Explain that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, so they're just like you just said, people can relate to what I said. So there's a lot of people that can relate. I mean, imposter syndrome is a real thing. There's a lot of people that can relate to not wanting to show their true self. I think most people feel that way. Not everybody resorts to robbing their friends and becoming homeless in order to continue to medicate that feeling. And so, you know, my father was an alcoholic. I had the gene. I believe that addicts are are biologically wired with an obsessive compulsive disorder around specifically being obsessed with managing how we feel. Hmm. And so we have a, a disproportionate response to a malady that I think everybody can relate to. And so when you ask about success, um, I had that experience myself as a successful entrepreneur. And I looked around at all the successful entrepreneurs and it looked like they were addicted to success like the drug. Um, their consequences weren't mine being homeless and getting kicked out of my house and throwing up blood, but they were on their second or third marriages. They didn't know their children. They didn't know whatever. So they were acting like addicts. Yeah. Yeah. Now there, I also know some people that were, are successful and, and they don't use success like a drug. So I think it's, it's more about the person than it is about the substance. And it's more about, um, why they're doing what they're doing. Are you, you know, pursuing success to, to solve for the fact that you feel less than, or are you doing it because you're trying to make an impact in the world, those sorts of things? If you have a tendency to, and apparently you did, manage the way that you feel or manage your feelings or emotions, and you were using drugs to do that, which I would imagine is very effective, at least at the beginning. Yes. How did you fix that? I mean, how did you stop managing the way you feel, or did you keep managing the way you feel and you just picked up jogging and and meditation you know how did you oh fix man that? if jogging and meditation had been enough <laughs> that my story would have been very jogging different. meditation not quite as good as cocaine <laughs> no no but you know what um, it's a lot cheaper a lot cheaper jogging and, meditation and it's not a down a there's cheaper. less of a downside i would imagine you get you, yeah. don't, you don't get high um, blood pressure <laughs> so for me i had to go to the end dude yeah. um you had like like you had to hit rock bottom yeah, I, w- I was homeless. The only thing keeping me from living on the street was my buddy's couch. And I stole from him during the day. And eventually he was like, dude, you need to go to rehab. And it wasn't because he thought I needed to fix my problems because he was tired of me living on his couch and stealing from him. Wow. Um, and I went to rehab because my parents offered simply because I didn't want to live on the street, not because I thought I had a problem. Hmm. 
And so for me that, but that was the end. So like I, I had been kicked out of school, been kicked out of my job, kicked out of my house, car repossessed. I was throwing up blood. My doctor told me that my life was going to end very soon. And so I went to rehab for a place to sleep. I didn't actually think that it would be able to redeem me. I didn't actually think that it would be able to extend my life into my 30s. You weren't even trying. You were you weren't even really trying. No, I was trying to die the slow way. I just didn't have the courage to do it. And I don't really even like saying that, but that's one thing we say in recovery. But yeah, I was trying to die the slow way. Hmm. And so I had to go to rehab and I had to get equipped with a system that has worked for millions of addicts around the world for the last 80 years. And and I was. And and that was I finally had the instructions not only on how to deal with my addiction but actually for the first time on how to deal with life on life's terms, which has served me really well. Yeah. Well, I mean, can you give me some tips and techniques there are people who you when you say they're managing their emotions, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly, you know, I'm not a drug guy. I really never have been, but I'm, I'm definitely a Reese's peanut butter cup guy. You uh, know what I mean? Well, that is a drug. And, and that, don't, don't, don't mistake. <laughs> yeah. That is a drug. It's a very good one, by the way. Yes. Uh, if, it's just legal. And, and, but I think there's, there's a lot more than that. I mean, there are people who are managing their emotions by watching Netflix or people listening, manage their emotion by drinking too much at night, managing emotions by isolating, managing their emotions. What are some of the techniques before we get into your book? What are some of the techniques that you learned to, quote unquote, manage your emotions or just be okay with your emotions? I think for me, the biggest thing was connecting with other people that were having trouble with their emotions as well. Uh, I think that we have a tendency to hide our weaknesses in the society, which isolates us from the resource that we need the most. And I think that's usually other human connection. It can be a higher power. It can be a community. But I had to fly all the way from California to Tennessee and, you know, a place that I didn't even know existed being a Californian because you think you're the center of the earth when you're in California. <laughs> and I walked into a room full of drug addicts and said, Hey, I'm Mike, I'm a drug addict. And I got a community and a sponsor full of drug addicts. And for the first time I realized, Hey, I'm not the only person kind of struggling with these feelings. So, you know, it's kind of cliche, but talking about it and connecting is something that is so important to be able to work through it because we're all human. And I know we're going to get into it later, but that's one of the interesting things about leaders is I think it's more, it's more okay for people to connect with others when they are struggling. That is not okay in leadership today, which no. is, which is just counterintuitive because leaders are supposed to lead the rest of us. And if they're human, we're human. And the way that we need to deal with our stuff is to connect with others. Um, I needed more than just that, but I mean, that is the first thing. Find your tribe and actually stop holding back anything with the few people that you can trust. If you hold st- secrets, keep us sick, man, just share whatever's, whatever's bothering you. And, and, and you'd be surprised at how much relief you can get in just someone saying, I've been there too. Well, let's talk about that because you, you went from that community to sobering up and then you you began your journey in the business world and you've been very, very successful. You and I were talking before we started recording about how you were CEO of the Entrepreneur Center here in in Nashville in Tennessee, which is a very successful organization. And you're interacting with some of the most powerful people in the government here and some of those powerful people in the private sector. You, You have to be on top of stuff. You have to know what you're doing to have accomplished what you've accomplished. And yet in, in a real sense, Michael, you're a fish out of water. You don't fit because that's just not the way they do things. One, just walk me through before we even get into the book, and I really want to get into the book. Walk me through the journey from, okay, I'm sober, uh, I've got a community of people I'm being honest with, I'm no longer using, to I'm running a successful company. There's a gap there that doesn't work out for most people. How did you bridge that gap? So for me, I, I first had to get a job. 
out of rehab. Um, and, and so I just started working at a Dell kiosk, uh, as a temp, just, you know, in the mall, just hawking computers saying, dude, you're getting a Dell. And I had long hair and hoop earrings. So everybody loved it. <laughs> and I was able to work my way into the Dell corporate ladder and I worked my way up eight promotions in eight years. And when you said fish out of water, that gave me chills because I felt like a complete outsider. Yeah. Because to practice the principles that I was taught as a recovering addict made me the polar opposite of everybody around me. People were saying yes to things that they could say no to. They were hiding their weaknesses. They were avoiding difficult conversations. They were holding back their unique perspective. And here I was using principles to survive, applying them into my work and feeling like a complete So literally, outsider. you're not even trying to climb the corporate ladder. You're trying to stay sober. Yes. And it's working in a weird way to give you eight promotions in eight years. Is that fair to say? Dude, I honestly thought I would get fired. And instead, I ended up managing my mentors. Yeah. Like, it was insane. And, and I can really, I can boil it down to a couple things. Number one, I grew faster than everybody else because I didn't hide my weaknesses. Because once you own that you're a drug addict and you're trained to live mask-free, you own your weaknesses and so you can grow faster. Number two, I connected with people way, way better than anyone else, customers, managers, you name it, because I was authentic and vulnerable and true about my story. And then the third thing is I had way more time and energy than everybody else because a lot of people focus on things that they cannot control and recovering addicts are wired to surrender what we can't control. And so I got a tremendous boost in time and energy to be able to outwork the people next to me. I wasn't the smartest, I wasn't the most talented, I had no natural connections, but because I had the tools of recovery, I was a differentiated corporate citizen and it gave me a career path in eight years that most people take 30 years to achieve. I'll be right back with the rest of my conversation with Michael Brody Waite in just a moment. But first, if you haven't signed up at DonaldMillerTeachesWriting.com yet, you definitely want to. I'm teaching a writing workshop live stream on April 28th. So right there in the comfort of your living room, you can patch into me in my living room, and I'm going to take you through some terrific content on how to improve your writing, whether you're writing Instagram posts, emails, marketing copy, or if you even want to write a book, I'm going to explain how writing is done. A lot of the same formulas apply to all of that. In fact, the same formula that will help you write a great short story will also help you write a great business book. It's the same ideas, and I'm going to explain that at DonaldMillerTeachesWriting.com. Mark your calendar for April 28th. Take the day off. I'm going to be with you for five solid hours. If you sign up for the VIP package, I'm going to send you a video called The Psychology of Writing a Book. Most people fail in writing a book not because it's hard, not because they're not good writers, not because they don't have the time, but because the psychological journey is too confusing. I'm going to remove all the anxiety of that confusing psychological journey and explain to you exactly how it's done and what to expect if you would like to write a book. Just go to DonaldMillerTeachesWriting.com. That's DonaldMillerTeachesWriting.com. And you and I will connect for a life-changing experience on April 28th. DonaldMillerTeachesWriting.com. You say in the book, people are becoming absolutely exhausted by being someone other than their authentic selves. And a company that provides benefits like catered lunches isn't truly addressing the real problem. Uh, you also say on page 41, again, that the book is great leaders live like drug addicts. Uh, on page 41, you say leaders wear a mask and start to amass the signs of external success we all think we want, such as promotions, wealth, awards, status, and power. We look at this process and think, oh, I get it. In order to get these things myself, I have to try to be the person everyone expects me to be. That's the problem. 
the only weird thing is it's by doing the opposite of what's intuitive that you're saying you can actually get ahead. I have some questions that I think some of our, our listeners are probably already asking about what's the difference between what you're talking about and being a, a shock jock. I want to get there in a second. I don't want to lose that train of thought. But I, I also want you to unpack that you've got four kinds of masks that people wear, uh, saying yes when you could say no, yep. two, hiding a weakness, three, avoiding difficult conversations, and four, holding back your unique perspective. If there's anybody out there who didn't think they were wearing a mask, you now do, <laughs> according to this definition. Um, I mean, some of these things just feel like people-pleasing, but you would call them a mask, and you would say this is the behavior of an addict. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I think, so you've seen people talk about authenticity and how important it is in the world and, and leadership, right? Right, absolutely. Yeah, do we have it? <laughs> no, no. no. Because the, to me, we haven't diagnosed the actual problem. We are addicted to masks. Until you understand what the actual problem is, you cannot treat it. And so to me, I think that we are addicted to masks. It comes out of command and control leadership. It comes out of our biology and sociology. But regardless, we're in a new era now where it's not necessary. And I believe that in order to recover from that addiction, because everybody's doing those things. I have an assessment that I've given to 500 to 1,000 leaders, CEOs to frontline employees to entrepreneurs, 90% report wearing a mask at work. And it's one of those four masks. Um, and it can be all four of those masks. And they think that it's going to make them more successful because they think that it hides a weakness. But what it does is it hides their strength, their unique strength, whatever that is. And it puts obstacles in their way unnecessarily. Before we get into the advantage of not wearing a mask, let's address this idea that there are people, and I, I literally can't even think of one in my life now, and yet I can think of the archetype, so I'm, I'm not being specific here. But people are afraid they're going to become somebody who is themselves and is just being themselves without realizing or perhaps even caring that they're doing so at the expense of others, Yep. right? So I'm going to say something insulting to you, but I'm just being me. That's not what you're talking about. Is that right? I mean, you uh, even without a mask, you're not talking about losing the respect or dignity or hurting other people with our authenticity. I think that's what a lot of people are afraid of. Yeah, and uh, that makes sense. I when I do, go do keynotes, sometimes like executives will be like, "Hey, I don't want you giving the the a holes in my company permission to be a holes." I'm like, "That's not what I'm doing." <laughs> um, what what I'm talking about is, uh, do you remember the movie The Mask? Yes. Yeah. Jim Carrey? Jim Carrey puts on the mask. He's kind of this fun-loving guy. It like, like his true nature comes out, but then the villain puts it on and he becomes this absolute monster. Got it. Yeah. When you are your true self, the world gives you feedback. Now the feedback of, oh, you shouldn't be yourself. Like when I wore flip-flops on my TED Talk and everybody wants to say you shouldn't wear flip-flops on your TED Talk. Like whatever, that's noise. But... When I, after my TED talk for a moment, thought I was Tony Robbins and started telling my friends what they need to be doing with their lives and I hurt them, <laughs> which is a true story. Um, I'm, I'm ashamed of, but I, 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 was, I was on a trip and I was like practicing rigorous authenticity. And then they say that hurt my feelings because I'm not wearing a mask and I'm not going to try to hide. I'm not going to argue with them. I'm not going to say, no, you're wrong. I'm not going to try to hide my weakness of arrogance. I'm going to be like, you know what? Okay. I have some uncomfortable work that I have to do now mm. because I don't want that. Now, there are people that are probably messed up and actually want to hurt the world and I can't help them. But for most of us, there is a unique person inside of us. But like as E.E. E. Cummings said, you know, to be yourself in a world where night and day, the world wants you to be anyone, everyone else or something like, I'm paraphrasing and butchering yeah. it, of course. 
is the hardest thing to do in the world. Everybody has a unique perspective that is so beautiful and valuable, and you can hone that by taking off these masks And because most people are good. But if you end up doing something that doesn't work for the world, the world will let you know. And because you're not wearing a mask, you can do something about it instead of hiding in denial. You know, it's interesting. I was um, I spent some time in D.C. when Betsy and I were dating, and I had a friend who was in the White House. Uh, Obama was uh, president then. And Joe Biden, back then as vice president, had made some sort of gaffe that day. Uh, you know, he'd said something really silly or really stupid. And uh, I asked my friend, because we were going to a Nationals game, I said, hey, listen, why doesn't Biden ever have to pay for that? He says all this stupid stuff, he never has to pay for it. And, he, and my friend Josh did something really interesting. He said, because it's true to his character, it's true to who he is, you only pay for things when it contradicts the person that you've presented to the world. Mm, and, like you, that. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I just thought that was a huge lesson. If you just yourself, you take that dichotomy, which I think there's a moral lesson in there of when you wear a mask, you're going to pay for it. People are going to make you pay for it in a much, uh, they're going to be more judgmental toward you if you don't. Combined with this need, and I, I really believe, Michael, it's a need for our leaders to be competent. Right. I mean, we, you know, if somebody's taking us into war, it's no good for them to say, you know, I, I know that I'm your general, but I got to be really honest with you guys. I'm scared to death and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm so glad you're on the front line and I'm back here in the bunker. Right. You can't. If I were in your shoes, I would be saying, Miller, just use common sense. And I understand that. I know we need to use common sense. But, you know, where's the dichotomy between or what is the relationship between this need to have competency and the reality that uh, we may not sometimes, and we're still the person who's leading. So here's a question then. Who's more competent? The person that says they know when they don't, or the person that admits they don't know and finds the answer, so they do? And I think the key there is finds the answer, right? I mean, it's, yeah. this is no excuse not to drive toward competency, is what I hear you saying. So let me give you an example. So because of the general, because I, I disagree with the example. I, I, I agree with your point, but the actual example of the general would be like, I don't know. The question is, what does the general do next? Do they, do they figure it out with the person, right? So what you're saying is the, the lack of confidence isn't that they don't know. The lack of confidence isn't that they said, I'm going to find out because your life is important to me and we're going to figure this out. Yes. And, and that's that's the thing. that That's real leadership to me. So like yeah. when I started my startup, and we, we ended up being on national TV at a time where I knew exposure could kill us. And I realized that the only reason I was a CEO of my startup was because my email signature said CEO. I had no idea how to be a CEO. Hmm. And I remember thinking, I don't know how this is going to hurt us. And I don't know how to do my job. And so I think that we are really vulnerable. And everything in me said, don't let my five other team members that just risked their jobs and took 70% pay cuts, don't let them know that. They need to believe in you. But I couldn't do that because I'm a recovering addict. And I actually went to them and I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I need help to scale as a CEO. And they said, okay. And they helped me find a mentor at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center. Hmm. And then I went there and I found a mentor and I went every week to meet with that mentor to up my skill level. And I, and I would bring back my failings and my successes to my people and as they watched that, I showed them what it meant to lead myself. If you lead yourself, you don't have to lead others. You show them the way that they can lead themselves. And so all of a sudden, I built a company of all these people where no one was hiding their weaknesses. Everybody would own their growth edge. Every week, I would come in and declare to my team, this is my greatest weakness right now. Because they would see what I would do next. Like I think great leaders are not 
I'm impervious and I don't even think leaders that check the authenticity box that say I struggled sometime are good. I think leaders that say I'm in the middle of the crap right now. I have absolutely no idea how the story ends, but walk with me and watch what I do. That is real leadership. That is what we need. That is what we don't have because it's too complex. Let's talk through what you call the mask-free system. And maybe there's a little framework in here that we can learn from on how to do this. One is practice rigorous authenticity, right? And so you talk about identifying your mask, identifying your fear, and identifying the costs. Can you unpack that for us? Again, authenticity is a buzzword. It's also a fantasy. We're not, we don't see it. Politicians never say, I don't know. So the whole key in that phrase is uh, rigorous. Hmm. So this is this is about no matter what the stakes are. This is, you know, when I got out of treatment, I had to be honest in a job interview about being a recovering drug addict. And I thought that would cost me the job and my place to live. But I had I told them anyway. And I have story after story in my book about or in my life period of where, you know, 99% of the worst things that ever happened to me happened in my head. And I actually told someone <laughs> what was really going on. And it it worked out. And I have some examples where it didn't, but the the war is a lot better. So it's learning to be to be true to yourself in word and action no matter the cost, no matter the circumstances no matter what's going on, small or high. And I think that for us, the biggest thing that you also talked about um, when you were referencing the book, the fear of what happens when we do is what puts the mask on our face. It's the fear. So not, not wearing a mask is courageous. Not wearing a mask takes courage. To me, it's the most courageous thing that you can do as a human because it's embracing your humanity in a world that doesn't want to. Well, you've got a real technique for becoming courageous. And, and you know, as I read it in the book, it rises up courage just saying it, surrender the outcome. And you, you talk about identifying what could happen, identifying what you can't and can control, and then actually letting go and letting the bad thing, being willing to let the hard thing happen because you're telling the truth and being who you are. Yeah. Can you imagine what happens when I go do speaking engagements in like large <laughs> corporations? And I'm like, so guys, to be a great leader, what you need to do is surrender the outcome. And they're like, uh, that's the exact opposite of I'm what responsible for yeah. the outcomes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can surrender the outcome in a lot of different ways. Recovering addicts, even right now, like with what's going on COVID-19, mm -hmm. recovering addicts are experts at this. We are experts at surrendering what we can't control and focusing only on what we can. And it all, and when you think about living without a mask, it comes down to you cannot control what other people think and how they respond to your unique perspective and how you are as a human. You can control whether you manifest your potential on this earth. You can control that but you're not going to please everybody along the way. And so the outcome that you usually want is you want to be accepted or you want the promotion or you don't want to get fired or you, you want your spouse to like you, whatever. You have to let go of that stuff and let go of all the things that you can't control and double down exclusively on what you can. And that's what, to me, gave me such a competitive advantage when it came to energy because I didn't focus on, I mean, think about a salesperson, right? Like I was in a big corporation. The salesperson that keeps arguing about their quota versus the one that goes out and makes calls I mean, that's a really simple thing, but I just, I just made a point that's relevant to like every company out there that's selling and they all, they know they've got the salespeople that will sit there and talk about all the things that are wrong with the product or the quota, their territory or whatever. And then there are the people that will actually just go out there and do all the work where you focus your time and energy. The, one of the number one places people in my experience and working with a lot of different companies, um, where the individuals are wasting a lot of time is they're focusing on things that they can't control at the expense of the things that they can. Hmm. You say something really interesting in the book on page 149. If they aren't sure their leader believes in practicing rigorous authenticity as a means for success, they are right to fear that their leader may see it as a weakness 
and a liability. There's some, I take that to mean there are some cultures in which you're absolutely not going to fit and you're right to fear uh, being yourself in this culture and you need to move on. Is that fair? Yeah. If you operate in a culture where being authentic and being your true self is not rewarded, then you actually didn't get hired. Um, some version of yourself got hired. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. And so you need to leave. I 100% agree with that. I mean, it's just soul crushing to be, and I've, I've been, I've not, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. I've run my own company for a long time, but I've been, I've worked inside of companies as a consultant and you could feel it. I mean, you could just feel it. And, you know, I I don't want to judge those cultures because some of the motivations were actually really kind of positive. You can see how it got distorted, right? Yep. Uh, But man, just people were not allowed to be themselves. They were going to pay for it somehow. I ended up losing a bunch of business with one of those clients and never regretted it. I just thought, well, that's better. It's better if we don't make that money. This many years later, that that's like so worth it, right? Yeah, Because you're able to look back and go, that was the difference. And not only that, but that company, uh, I've been back since and that company's changing because they have to change. It's unsustainable. Oh, that's great. You know, they have to change. It has to be different. Michael, I think a lot of people are going to go read your book right now. It's called Great Leaders Live Like Drug Addicts. I know you also have some worksheets. Are they in the book or can we get them somewhere else that, that will help us? They're in the book, but also you'll be able to access them at michaelbrodyweight.com, uh, B-R-O-D-Y-W-A-I-T-E.com. Well, this has been a fantastic interview. Thank you so much for encouraging our audience. All right. Thanks, brother. Bye. I love that conversation. Yeah. The reality is, you know, you kind of probably joke about not being very vulnerable, but you actually are a very vulnerable leader when it comes to our staff. And in particular, when we just went through this whole pandemic, Yeah, I remember the very first day everything started getting shut down, you grabbed our whole team together and you came in with empathy and authority. Like you came in with the plan that you had worked on over the weekend and also acknowledged the gravity of the situation. I learned that from you because we had, we had a, we had a, a tragedy strike our organization a, a while back and you talked to your dad who yep. does a lot of trauma counseling and mm-hmm. your dad actually said you need to show empathy be human and you need to actually keep your stuff together yep. and have a plan almost no matter what that is yep in that moment yep. and I, that just made all this of course it's empathy and authority it yep. just goes back to what we've learned in screenwriting yeah i learned that from you so, but thanks that that feels good that's, yep. that's a good feeling compliment that's, true. that's a good feeling compliment <laughs> a good feeling compliment <laughs> a goodwill hunting and compliment. it's nice to know that we can take our reese's peanut butter cup addiction and leverage it into <laughs> leadership gold yes mine's cadbury mini eggs but yes, yes oh those are pretty good too Delicious. we should probably not talk about these things well mm. we're being authentic authentic but you know, Michael would say, it's not okay to keep the addiction. You, yeah, have, to, yeah. you have to actually move on. Yeah. You have to, strength has to come out of this. So. Well, Michael, thank you so much for being vulnerable. What a great example of leadership you are, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's music on Apple Music or Spotify. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business.